Matthew 17, uh, 7 and verse 13, we'll read in a moment. Uh, many of you know that uh, last year, 2011, there were a few uh, slight changes, a few uh, little uh, challenges experienced uh, during the latter part of the year. And uh, hopefully uh, addressing that uh, issue once and for all in a somewhat radical fashion. But during that, and even stretching to the present, the one change, and it's temporary, I'll explain at the end uh, uh, the reason why, is one change is I have been uh, unable, uh, probably a better, uh, more accurate reality is unwilling, but we'll get to that. I've been unable to drive. And so the driving duties have fallen to my wife, uh, to uh, Brother Leonard Gastelum, who's here with me this week, to Doug Marcotte and some others. And as a result, I have been relegated to the back seat. <laughs> and there is a whole new perspective <laughs> that comes from the back seat. Now, you have to realize up until that time, I had been driving for 42 years. I used to think whenever we would send an invasion team, you know, the church van, that these people that would run ahead and yell, front seat, were people who were carnal <laughs> and selfish to the bone. And, you know, maybe... That's true, but I do have a bit more sympathy <laughs> overall with them. And a number of things that this has produced, one is it definitely is a marriage test. <laughs> because most men would prefer to drive. Uh, I have learned to simply be quiet. I'm not in charge of what we listen to. <laughs> you know, I have certain stations that were, you know, my go-to stations. When it comes to what direction are we going to take, they're not looking to me for the fount of wisdom that I am. And the bottom line, and this is what makes it a Bible-worthy topic, is the realization that I am not in control. And I want to preach about the view from the back seat out of Matthew 7, verse 13, and hopefully 
explode some of your illusions. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Get down to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonder, wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. I want to just begin by looking at the grand illusion and I've already alluded to it, but for the sake of confession, I am a bit of a control freak. Okay, I've said it, it's out in the open. <laughs> and I don't mean, hopefully, God help me, I don't mean in some kind of warped, psychologically depraved fashion. I'm not talking about a personality disorder this morning. There are those who have psychological disorders where they are real control freaks whose aim is to control people, everything, and everyone around them. And hopefully, I'm not just simply you know, a person who has to run the show and deep down inside is terrified of being vulnerable. I'm not talking about that. I simply mean I like to have my say. Now, you don't have to say amen. You can sit there this morning so spiritual here in your new building like, uh, you know, I'm really sorry for you, Pastor that you have that affliction that surely doesn't bother me, but I like to have my say, you know. I like to determine where we're going to go, where we're going to eat. I'm not really wild about various restrictions. And the truth is we all come into the world this way. Because Isaiah said that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, what? To his own way. I think about the picture of Jacob 
and Esau, these twins, uh, when he was born, the Bible says the children struggled together within her, and the prophecy of what was happening was that there were actually two nations uh, within her womb, and how that the elder was going to serve the younger, but the scripture says uh, Esau was born first. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And in that picture, you can see his whole life. He came out with uh, grasping uh, his brother's uh, heel that all of life uh, for Jacob was going to be a fight to have his own way. See, control is one of the greatest illusions in the world. And Jesus, in our scripture, said that there were two ways in life, two ways to live life. One is wide, it is easy, it is by far the majority, but it ends in destruction. He said the other way is much more narrow, it's hard, it's not as populated by any means, but this way leads to life. And if I could suggest something this morning, that these two ways and their outcomes ultimately have everything to do with who's in control in your life. can enlarge and elaborate on this, that this is one of the strongest driving instincts within all of us, because one of the devil's first, his earliest lies was what? You shall be as gods. And the devil's suggestion from the beginning was that self could dethrone God, and his suggestion was, you shall be in control. And Jesus later on went to label this as the lie. Not just a lie, but the lie. Something that has been around from the beginning. Something that has been deeply reinforced in human nature. And this is why Things like pride and self-reliance and autonomy are such a part of our makeup this morning and deeply ingrained in each and every one of our natures. The idea that holding on to control or breaking free from any control is pretty much what we try to do more than anything else. What do teenagers think about all the time? I can't wait uh, till I'm out of the house uh, and underneath the control of my parents uh, with all of their curfews and allowances and all of the chores. They're in college. They can't wait to get away from the rules and the academic rigors of university life. Uh, Many enter into the workforce uh, and they dream of financial independence largely so that they won't have to be under the authority of any kind of supervisor. And it's safe to say that much of life uh, is spent trying to uh, either establish control or get away from control. And the point that I want to make is that all of this is an illusion 
Because if you sit back and consider, one of the things you begin to realize, and life will teach you this, is how little control we actually have. See, think about it. You didn't control or have anything to do with or say on the day you were born. You didn't control who your parents were, the way that you were raised. You didn't control the color of your skin or your eyes or your hair. You do not control the day or the time that you will ultimately step into eternity. If you drive here on Cape Cod, you realize you can't control what other drivers do. Try as you may, you can't control what other people think about you. You don't control the weather. You don't control how fast, how slow, how good or how bad the food gets to you in a restaurant. You can pray, you can labor, you can have a burden, but ultimately you don't control whether or not someone prays to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God can bring people, save them, put them in your church, but you don't control them. You don't control the decisions that they make that will bring them either closer to God or further away. I know a lot of pastors who are forever condemning themselves and beating themselves over the head because they have attached their self-worth to the decisions that their people make over which they have no control. You can join Jenny Craig. You can go to L.A. Fitness, Bally's, uh, you can uh, watch your diet, etc., but you can't control the fact uh, that maybe you've got it still up here, but when it comes to your body, it doesn't function the same way. And when you take all of these things, you realize in the larger scale of things what I do have control over is so small and so insignificant, and yet at the same time, it is very critical because I do control my attitudes and how I choose to respond to people in situations that come my way. And if it hasn't happened already, there will be, hear me, will be. There will be times and events that is going to bring this home to you in a very powerful and sometimes painful way, you are not in control. And life has a way of coming from time to time and saying, you know what? You can sit in the back seat. There was a book published in 1943 by a retired brigadier general named Robert Scott. And that book, which I think was later made into a movie, was called God is My Co-Pilot. Now, it's probably a fine book. I believe the man was acknowledging God's presence 
as an aviator during World War II, but there's always been something about that title that has bothered me a little bit. God is my co-pilot, because whether that's its aim or not, it tends to uh, convey the idea that God's kind of along for the ride. He's good to have, you know, in different times in life, uh, but don't worry, you're still in the front seat, uh, you're still in the captain's seat, you're still in control. And while I understand fully that none of us can put our lives on autopilot, the fact is that the whole idea of control is actually an illusion so think about, secondly, the necessary surrender. It was John Newton, the author of the hymn Amazing Grace, who wrote in another poem, he said these words, More of thy presence, Lord, impart. More of thine image let me bear. Construct thy throne within my heart and reign without a rival there. Construct thy throne within my heart, and reign without a rival there. Every human heart has a throne in it. It may not show up on a CAT scan or on an MRI, but in every human heart uh, there is a throne, uh, and this is why repentance which means to change one's mind, was both the first and the last words of the kingdom. Jesus came preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that repentance involves a willingness to give God leadership in your life to be able to work out uh, as he will and as he wants to his purpose and his plan in your life. And God rebuilds broken and repentant lives, but this is where the rubber meets the road, this necessary surrender. And Jesus made it very clear, troublingly so, in our scripture when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father that is in heaven. And without going into a complete uh, exposition of that verse, uh, it is clear that he's saying religious exercise or mere profession is not what God is after. He is looking for a response of obedience and faith and surrender in our lives, which is why Peter on the day of Pentecost preached and said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's not just talking here about phraseology. He's talking about in every heart uh, there must be not just one time, but many times a surrender. Jesus, you reign. You construct your throne uh, in my heart, and you reign without a rival there. And the step that every Christian, young or old, has to make 
is that Christianity involves an informed surrender to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. It involves an informed surrender. Let me just throw in a little word, you know, because uh, recently a lot of press been given to these so-called neo or new atheists uh, who are, you know, flexing their muscles a bit, etc. You know what? Most people's uh, problem with God is not an intellectual problem at all. It is a moral problem. It is a problem of the will. And Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, in other words, if you say, no, I'm going to be in the front seat or nowhere at all, he said, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you will save it. Isn't it true that God is constantly calling you and I to surrender to him and experience over and over again the joy of living our lives under his sovereign control? Six months goes by, a year goes by, you come to conference, you're not a rookie, you're not a young convert, but the Spirit of God comes and he begins to challenge you with this most basic and most fundamental of truths. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, if you say, you know what, it's the front seat or nothing at all, you're going to lose your life. And real relationship with Christ does include his leadership and his lordship. It does involve giving up control or, as Jesus said, dying to self. The New Testament calls us to submit to Christ over and over again, not as spiritual employees, but as those who wholly belong to him. The Greek word for Lord, the word kyrios, is used 750 times in the New Testament. Its counterpart, the word doulos, which means servant or slave, is uh, used in a similar fashion, and they are different sides of the same coin. Someone wrote and said, when believers sing or recite the confession, Jesus is Lord, we are affirming his absolute supremacy, not only over the physical and moral universe, and not only over human history, not only over all human beings, whether living or dead, not only over the church, but also over our own lives as his willing slaves. The simple but crucial point is that two words, Lord and slave, kyrios and doulos, are correlatives. And two things are greatly improved and actually three things, greatly improved and accompany this surrender. One is how we view the world and how we view life. And the second is our supply of the grace of God.
Let me just reverse the order for a minute. How many know the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? Curious little uh, on-the-spot survey time. How many need lots and lots of God's grace? Could I see your hand, please? You see, some shot up. Some are a little more reluctant. The truth is, if you want your supply of God's grace to increase, you must humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. The other aspect is our world view. I may say more tomorrow but it's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul is really confronting the danger of immorality he's writing to the Corinthians you know he doesn't write to them and say you know what you might experience an unwanted pregnancy he doesn't say you know what you better be aware of the dangers of STDs he really doesn't even uh, full-on mention the loss of dignity that accompanies immorality. But what he wrote was, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And listen to these words. And you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are not your own. I don't know any way to make it any clearer. You are not your own. You are not ultimately in control. And Paul's grasp of this was not just simply limited to moral issues, but he's talking about all of life. How you look at the world, how you view God, how you look at yourself in this world. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It improves your relationship with your finances immensely. See, what is it that so often hinders people from giving and being liberal? It's the idea that this money is what? Mine. Little exercise. How many believe exercise is good? Okay, little exercise, please. I'd like you to take your wallet out of your back pocket right now or out of your purse very quickly. Okay, I want you to turn and give it to the person to the right of you, to the person on the right. Just give it to them. Okay, now what I'd like to do is I'd like the ushers to come forward right now. And we're going to take the biggest offering in the history of the Cape Cod Conference. And some of you are getting really, really nervous. 
because you're not used to being apart from that friend. So help your brother or sister and give it back to them. But isn't it interesting how difficult it is to surrender that little piece of leather? And like I said, the biggest issue that people have when it comes to the gospel usually boils down to some issue of control that they do not want to submit or surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me close and talk about the sustaining revelation. Because in the Bible, this is really the starting point. The Bible's narrative moves from this premise this morning that God is always in control. If I did not believe that God was in control, there's no telling what I would become. There are some of you that would become vigilantes. There's others of you that would lose your mind. If I didn't believe that God was in control, that means that he's always good, and he's always holy. I don't know where I'd be. And the word that describes this, and the word's been distorted, but it's a Bible word, is the word sovereign or sovereignty. The word sovereignty talks about God's attributes, and it simply means that he is the supreme authority or ruler or king. He is the one that's in control. Now, a lot of people in their twistedness, uh, in their warped mindset, will look at this as a kind of indictment against God, but there's a big difference from God being in control to God being the causative agent of everything that happens. And... God on his throne this morning. It's interesting in the book of Revelation, having dealt with all of the seven churches in Asia, that when we are finally in chapter 4, translated into the heavenlies, the very first thing that John saw in heaven is he said, and I saw a throne there that the very first message uh, when John was transported into the heavenlies was the fact of God's uh, sovereign lordship or control, and there is no one else who can make that claim, and there certainly is no one else who can pull that off. And the very simple truth is that this revelation can become a sustaining anchor in your soul and a truth that sets you free to enjoy life. 
all of the imagery, the man who obeyed the word of God is like a man who built his house on the rock so that when the rains descended and the winds blew and it beat against that house, it did not fall. Why? Because it was built on the rock. The true freedom is understanding how out of control we really are and then placing our faith in God who has never ceased to maintain control over all that he has created. And here's what I want you to see and a simple truth, but giving up control is not some horrible loss of freedom. Giving up control in your life is to gain competent direction. And you should be okay with this. When we, uh, Leonard and I, get up Tuesday morning and boarded the American Airlines flight from Tucson to Dallas and then on to Boston, I gladly gave up control of that plane to those pilots. <laughs> I had no desire to be in control because I knew it was much better for them to lead, for them to guide, for them to direct the plane because they were infinitely better qualified. So that it's infinitely better for me if they fly than me. Saying, no, 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 I, I want to be, uh, I insist. TSA aside, I insist. I want to be in the cockpit. And here's the question. Is by letting those pilots fly the plane, do I lose anything? Am I out of anything through their leadership or my lack of control? Or do I gain the assurance that they will get me to my desired destination? 1 Timothy 6, verse 15, the King James Version says, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, the only reason I read it in that, I like the word. It feels nice going over my tongue, potentate. <laughs> we don't even know what a, what's a potentate. <laughs> Doesn't he play left wing for the Bruins or something? <laughs> the word potentate means the only sovereign or the only ruler and I like one translation that says, he is the blessed controller of all things. 
that if I can yield my life, my all, my time, my treasures, and my talents to him, this becomes the anchoring promise in my life that God is able to cause all things to work together for good to them that love God and to those that are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that there will never be trying times. Uh, That verse is not saying there will never be a time in life where you don't feel like crying out, God, why is this happening? But it is stating unequivocally that God sees the complete picture. And if you will trust in him, uh, if you will not insist in being in the front seat, uh, that he is able to cause all things to work together for good to you that are called according to his purpose and to you that love him. You know the thing I found out about the back seat is the, you have, you, there's an obstructed view when you're sitting back there because the dude in the front seat, you know, his head is, is right there and you get the, the little dealy things, uh, the headrests on the car, you know, and if you want to see anything, you got to kind of lean and Look through the wind. You know, you've got an obstructed view. I got news for you. No matter how you try to give off airs, uh, that you really know what's going on. Most of us uh, in life are kind of like that. I think so. And I don't care if you have GPS or, you know, ABC. You know, the fact is... My limited human perspective is unable to grasp God's greater plan, but I can confirm by faith His Lordship in the midst of my life, my circumstances. This is why someone wrote the poem and said, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reasons why. The dark threads are as needful in the skillful weaver's hand as threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. The anchoring, the sustaining revelation is that he is sovereign. He is Lord. He is the blessed controller of all things. He is in control of our world. He's even control, and you know, this takes faith. But he's even in control of the political climate. If you don't think so, read the book of Daniel sometime. And he's in control of my life and yours. But the comfort is he is a benevolent master. T. DeWitt Talmadge, who wrote and said, When omniscience has lost its eyesight 
and omnipotence falls back impotent, and Jehovah is driven from his throne, then the church of Jesus Christ can afford to be despondent, but never until then. Despots may plan and armies may march and the congresses of the nations may seem to think they are adjusting all the affairs of the world, but the mighty men of the earth are only the dust of the chariot wheels of God's providence. <laughs> the mighty men of the earth Let's be gender equal. The mighty women of the earth are but what? The dust of the chariot wheels of God's purpose and providence. What that means is that he is both Savior and sovereign. And that is true whether you have been saved a short period of time or whether you've been saved for years and decades. It is true whether you are pastoring a church or a faithful laborer and disciple and pillar in your congregation. He is both Savior and Sovereign. And it's very interesting to me, you know, I always, preachers are a strange breed anyhow, but relegated to the back seat, the Spirit of God begins to speak to me and says, I am letting you see just how in control you really are. That's true with the church I pastor. Now listen, when I say I'm not in control, that's not the same thing as I am not responsible. And here's the discovery. And this is the thing now about the backseat. I told you in the beginning I'd bring this to a close. Is now I actually like it. <laughs> I don't have to drive. You drive, just tell me when we're there, I'll work, I'll do this, I'll do that, you know, I'll do all kinds of stuff. Answer the phone, talk here. You know, and it, it looks like, what do you think you are, some big shot? No, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just a little shot, you know, that's all I am. But uh, for now, uh, it's not probably the best idea, but it's, it's temporary. And I've got to, really, to be perfectly honest, it's still going on because I kind of like it. <laughs> you know, I probably could have started driving a while ago easily, and you know? I thought, well, I think I'll milk this a little bit more. <laughs> I preach this message in San Antonio, the beginning of the year is the first. I've only gone three places. This is the last place I'm scheduled to go the entire year of 2012. Uh, and 
so I ministered this in San Antonio, and it was my first venturing out. And so uh, Pastor Leonard went with me. And on the last night of revival, before they took a love offering, they asked Leonard to come forward, and they gave him a leather chauffeur's cap. You know, I've always forgot, brother, to sign that. I should, you know, kind of, you know, just like they signed jersey, I could sign that. And so, I'm being honest, the reason now is not because of invalid status. The reason is, I just kind of like it. <laughs> Lord, I'm not in control, but you know what? I can relax. My blood pressure's not up. I'm not upset too bad at all the other people who are driving because, you know, it's not my responsibility it's whoever's driving you pay attention I can get stuff done but in that and I will close is a parable for all of us about life when you're young you think you know you've got the world by the tail you're the one that's in control but life has a way of bringing messages to you you're not in control. All your kids, uh, yeah, it was real easy when they were five and pliable. But now they're 18 and 19, they have a will of their own and you realize, you know what? I'm not in control like I used to be. My words may not carry the same kind of weight. Now they have to make decisions on their own and live with the consequences of those decisions and I can't forever be protecting them from that. And you have a choice. You can hold on to the illusion or you can surrender your life to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, where life is lived to the fullest is doing your will and letting you be in control, the blessed controller of all things. I want you to bow your heads, and we're going to pray this morning.